today, as we've done in some weeks past, what we're going to do is have our scripture on the screen as we go through the different points. The topic of today's sermon, or the title of today's sermon, is God's Attributes on Display in the book of Proverbs. For your help, if you have a bulletin, if you open that bulletin up on the left side, you'll see all the points of our sermon and all the scriptures that go with those individual points. So again, as we've done in the past, as we come to each point, we will read those scriptures. They will also be on the screen. But as we approach the Word of God, the preaching of God's Word, please join me in prayer. Let's ask God's blessing upon our time together today. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we're excited because we're coming to your Word. Your Word is truth in a world that is filled with lies. It teaches us what we need to know about you, what we need to know about each other. It teaches us the plan of salvation, the great love that you've shown us in Jesus Christ. And today, Father, as we focus upon thy divine attributes, we pray your blessings upon this sermon. May the words of my mouth, may the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable unto thee as I preach today. Open ears, open hearts and minds to receive your word today. God, if I passed a list around this room and I said write down the issues that are on your hearts and minds right today, that list would be very full, very full. And Lord, I pray that those things of the day or the week would not be distractions to us. In fact, We cast those cares upon you now, knowing that you care for us, and ask you, Father, that you unclog our ears and our hearts and our minds, that we might focus upon worship, remove every distraction from this place. Bless this time, we pray. We ask all this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Well, over the past few months, we know that the book of Proverbs has taught us so much about our relationship with God and our relationship with other people, that vertical and that horizontal relationship. In fact, back in April, in chapter 1, Proverbs taught us to fear the Lord, that that's how we are to relate to God, that we're to give Him the honor and the praise that, is, that He's worthy of, and that we are to fear Him and respect Him in all that we do and say. We also learned how to relate with each other. Parents, we learned how to be good parents to our children. Children, you learned how to be good listeners to your parents. In May, Daryl shared with us a sermon on stewardship from Proverbs. That is, being a good steward of your time, your talents, your, your treasures with God and with other people. We learned how to trust the Lord with all of our hearts and not to lean on our own understanding. We learned about the path of folly and the path of wisdom. In June, we learned those seven abominations. God calls them haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, one who sows discord among brothers. And those taught us how to relate one to the other. We learned about the adulterous woman and the moral purity needed in our marriage relationships. In July, Blair taught us about the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31. 
Daryl again shared another sermon from Proverbs on parenting. Again, how we as parents relate to our children. We heard the call of Lady Wisdom, the call of Lady Folly. We spent two weeks on what it means to be a good friend and a good neighbor. Even two weeks from today, Daryl's going to share another sermon from Proverbs upon, about work ethic and, and laziness. So in all these months, looking back on what we've learned, we can see how Proverbs teaches us how we're to relate both to God and to other people. But what does the book of Proverbs have to say about the attributes of God? You know, we've spent a lot of time talking about how we relate to God and relate to other people. But is or are the attributes or the characteristics of God something that is missing from this book? Obviously, if you heard the children's sermon, you know the answer. No, it's not missing. There's so much there. There's so much in the book of Proverbs about the attributes of God. So today, what we're going to do is see God's attributes on display from the book of Proverbs. And if we did a full orb study of that, there might be a list of 10, 15 different attributes we want to look at. But today, we're going to talk about five. Five attributes of God found in the book of of Proverbs. So you'll see, if you have your bulletin on the left side, you'll see the five we're going to look at. God's providence, His omnipresence, as we spoke of with the children, His omniscience, His justice, and His grace. So let's zoom in, and let's talk about that first point. The providence of God, we have two verses we want to look at regarding the providence of God. This is Proverbs chapter 19, Verse 21, the Bible says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs 21.1, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Providence. What is the providence of? Of God. One of the most helpful definitions actually comes from our catechism, the shorter catechism. It asks this question. This is question 11. What are God's works of providence? And its answer is this. God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, powerful, preserving, and governing all his creatures and all their actions. That God preserves and governs his creatures. Simply put, Beloved, providence, God's providence, means that he is in total control of everything that he has made. You know, for centuries, all people, whether they're Christians or non-Christians, it doesn't matter, all people have had some sort of view of the providence of God. You know, for the Christian, that view is that God is the creator of all things, and God upholds, he directs. He sustains all things and all their actions. But for non-Christians, that is, people who do not know a personal God, who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, providence becomes things like gambling, chance, 
or luck. Luck is what the non-believer turns to to replace providence. But biblical providence teaches us that God works in accord with the personalities, with all the natures of men, and he brings all things to pass that are according to his will. You see, some people might look at an instance and think, oh, that's just chance, or that's just luck, or this person has bad luck. You know, the Bible's full of examples of this. Let's talk about one in particular. Do you remember the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis? Man, you talk about a guy someone could look at and say, that guy has bad luck. Wherever he goes and whatever he does, that guy has bad luck. Think about it. Joseph's own father sinned against him. He played favorites. Made Joseph a coat of many colors. He wasn't doing Joseph any favors when he did that. That must have been bad luck. Because you know what happened? His brothers saw that coat and they got very jealous. They knew that his, their father loved Joseph more than the rest of them. So they took Joseph and they threw him in a pit. And when that wasn't good enough, they sold him into slavery. Man, this guy has bad luck. You think it might be over when he gets to Egypt, but it doesn't. Things seem to settle down. He works for a guy named Potiphar, but then Potiphar's wife chooses to lie against Joseph. Gets Joseph put into prison. Bad luck. God is obviously not in control of this situation. And then Joseph goes to prison... He talks to the cupbearer, right, who gets out of prison and says, Hey, cupbearer, will you remember me when you get out? Sure, Joseph, I'll remember you. Cupbearer gets out. What's he do? Forgets about Joseph. Obviously, Joseph has continual bad luck. Do you realize that every consequence that Joseph suffered from the things we just talked about weren't for things that Joseph did. They were things that other people did. That Joseph suffered the consequences of other people's sins. This guy has bad luck, right? Wrong. It was in God's plan the whole time. Because we know the end of the story, don't we? You see, in the midst of the story, at the beginning of the story, in the middle of the story... It's hard to see, isn't it? Providence is hard to see. And sometimes in the middle of our stories, we want to throw our hands together and, and worry and doubt and fear. And I'm guilty of all of that. How about you? I want to throw my hands in the air and have that. But guess what? We read the end of the story, don't we? That God had all of this in his plan the whole time. That God had a plan to raise Joseph up. Make him second in command of all of Egypt. For him to interpret their dreams. For the food to be prepared. For the famine to happen. For people to be fed. And then those who sinned against him the most were brought before his face. And Joseph with all of his power could have squashed them like a bug. Could have squashed his own brothers if he wanted to. 
And you see the emotional toil that's going on in his heart and his mind. Joseph is shedding tears over this. His brothers are right in front of him. And he finally gets to the point at the end of Genesis, the point of spiritual maturity, the point that the Lord wants to take all of us to in our lives. And what does he say? You know it. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph rested on the providence of God. He knew that God was governing and caring in the midst of being in that pit, in the midst of being in slavery, in the midst of being in that cell. At the end of his life, he had matured to the point where he rested on the providence of God. I guarantee you, if we had asked Joseph in the pit, in slavery, and in prison, if we asked him in all three of those moments, hey, Joseph, was this in your plan? Was this in your personal plan for your life? He'd have said, no way. It wasn't my plan. As this verse says, many are the plans in the mind of a man. But it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And Joseph grew to know that, to understand it, to accept it. It doesn't tell us, the Bible doesn't tell us what exact point he came to do that, but he did by the end, by Genesis 50, the last chapter, he grew to that. And that's the point God wants to grow us to. This is the providence of God. Secondly, the omnipresence of God. The verse we read a moment ago with the children. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Do you ever wish you could be in both boxes at the same time? Parents that have multiple children, I know you wish that. Maybe your children go to different schools and you got to drop one at one school, number two at a different school, and number three at a different school, or three different ball practices. We got to get you to volleyball, we got to get you to soccer, we got to get you to football, whatever. And maybe all practices are at the same time, and you kind of wish you could be everywhere at the same time. We get worn out driving around town. But as we learned this morning, God is everywhere at the same time. As this verse says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place. And this is so different than you and I. We're limited by space. We're limited by time. But let us remember something about space and time. Those are creations. God is outside of space and time. In fact, God created space and time. God is not bound like we are. So yes, God can be everywhere at the same time. A text we read at... uh, a few months ago, I just want to reread some of this. This is Psalm 139. You're probably very familiar with this text. But David writes, he says, Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, in other words, if I go up, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, or the grave, which is down, David says, You, God, are there. If I take the wings of the morning, which is east, dawn, The sun rises in the east. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, it's the Mediterranean Sea, which is west, 
in Israel. David says, even there, your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. Isn't it comforting to know it doesn't matter where you go. You can go up, down, left, right, forward or backward. David says in this psalm, you can hem me in behind and before. Think about that. If it's a box, he's done all six faces of the box. Up, down, left, right, forward, backward. David says it doesn't matter where you go, whatever direction, whatever axis, right? The x-axis, the y-axis, the z-axis. doesn't matter. God is with you. You are never alone. Remember the words of Jesus. We told it to the children this morning. Matthew, the book of Matthew, Jesus gives the great commission. The last thing he says is, Lo, I will be with you always to the end of the earth. I will never leave you or forsake you, says Hebrews. Jesus calls himself Emmanuel, God with us. You are never, ever alone. How comforting is that for us? Number three. The omniscience of God. Omnipresent is God being present everywhere at the same time. Omniscience means God is all-knowing. Here's our verses. Proverbs 15, 11. Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the children of man. Proverbs 21, 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. When you look at another person, what do you see? We see their outside, right? We see their physical features. But can you see more than that? Can you look past the outward appearance? Can you see the heart? We try to do that sometimes, don't we? Sometimes we're right, sometimes we're wrong. But sometimes we try to look at the heart But as much as we try to know the certainty of someone else's mind or heart, we can't ever know for sure. I can fool you. You can fool me. Husbands can fool their wives. Wives can fool their husbands. Bosses can fool their employees. Employees can fool their bosses on the intent of the heart. But this text says that God is all-knowing and that he can see the hearts of the children of man, that he actually weighs the heart. Great Old Testament story about this, isn't it? You know where I'm going? Samuel's going to Jesse's house, right? Going to find the new king of Israel. He's going to Jesse's house. Jesse brings out his boys, all but one. Jesse was pleased with the outward appearance of those boys. But he wasn't, well, he wasn't pleased with the one out with the sheep. And one by one, Jesse puts his boys before Samuel and says, this is going to be the next king, right? This is going to be the next king, right? And what's the answer? No, 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 no. Do you have any more boys, Jesse? Well, yeah, there's one. But he's out in the field, right? Tending the sheep. Who was that boy? That was David. That was David, the next king of Israel. And the Lord told Samuel that day, 
The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God knows everything about us. Jesus says the very hairs on our heads are numbered. For me, that's a very small number. As you're staring at it right now. Figuring out there's at least four, maybe five. But in all seriousness, this text teaches us that God knows when a man will come to ruin. That's what it means, Abaddon, when a man comes to ruin. That God knows when a man's going to die. I mean, Sheol, that's the wording there. So he knows if a man's going to come to ruin. He knows when a man's going to die. But more importantly than that, It takes it a step further. It says that God knows the heart. Our hearts are fully open to God. I can fool you, you can fool me, but we can't fool God. J.I. Packer has a great quote about this. Christians, listen to this. You can cut yourself off from your fellow human beings. You, but you cannot cut yourself off from your Creator. Just as I am never left alone, so I never go unnoticed. Yes, I can hide my heart, my past, and my future plans from those people around me, but I cannot hide anything from God. I can talk in a way that deceives my fellow creatures as what I really am, but nothing I say or do can deceive God. He sees through all my reserve, my pretense. He knows me as I really am, better indeed than I know myself. Listen to this. A God whose presence and scrutiny I could evade would be a small and trivial deity. But the true God is great. Just because he is always with me and his eye is always upon me. Living becomes an awesome business when you realize that you spend every moment of your life in the sight and the company of an omniscient, omnipresent creator. Amen? Amen. Number four, the justice of God. Proverbs 24, 12 says this, If you say, Behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will not repay man according to his work? Proverbs eleven twenty one. Be assured, an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. There's no doubt about it that oftentimes in this world, it seems like we live in a very unfair place. There are times when the guilty go unpunished. Maybe because of a legal technicality, a mistrial, maybe lies are believed instead of the truth. There's times when innocent people go to prison for things they never did. Maybe because of false evidence was used. The truth was covered up. That means an innocent victim bears the weight of a crime that someone else committed. It happens. But didn't we just learn that God is omnipresent and omniscient? We did. What does that mean? 
That means that God is teaching us here in this text that when human courts do not do their duty, God will have the final say. Because on the last day, the Bible teaches us that all men will stand before him and God will resolve every single issue. Yes, we should always strive for justice, but when injustice happens, the Bible says that it should never make us bitter. In fact, there's some comforting words I want to read to us. This is from Romans chapter 12. This is Romans 12, 17 to the end of the chapter. Listen to these words. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The text says, don't avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. God is a just God. God will take care of it. Fifth and finally this morning, we see the grace of God. Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Proverbs 16, 6a, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. You know, of all the things we've talked about these months in Proverbs, parents, children, stewards, all those things, there's not one person in this room or amongst us on earth who can do that perfectly. There's no perfect parent, no perfect child, no perfect marriage. We don't have perfect eyes, tongues, hands, hearts, and feet. We don't have perfect friendships. We're not perfect workers. As Daryl spoke to us a moment ago, we should be able to say with Paul, I am the foremost of sinners in each of these. But in the midst of this, Proverbs comes and it teaches us about the grace and the mercy of God. You know, when it comes to God's judgment, we all deserve God's judgment, right? For our own sin. But in the midst of this judgment speech, Proverbs teaches us about mercy, about the grace of God. It speaks to us about an atonement for our iniquity, about a covering for our sin. You see, what is partially revealed to us in the book of Proverbs comes to full completion in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because it's through Christ that we're going to have atonement. It's through Christ that we're going to have the forgiveness of sins. One of those great verses in 1 John, 1 John 1.9, listen to what it says about confession. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Christ, you will have that forgiveness. Through His blood, your sin will be atoned for. Think about Romans chapter 5, verse 8. 
It says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You see, every single one of us falls short of the glory of God. None of us can do any of this perfectly, but God gives us his grace in the midst of this. He gives us the atonement for our sin, the remission of our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, at the cross, two things collide. At the cross of Christ, justice collides with mercy. God's justice collides with his mercy. And through that, he gives us his grace. And in Jesus, we have this perfect redemption of sin. In Jesus, we have full reconciliation unto God. Yes, God gives us his grace. Beloved, as we close this morning, what are some takeaways? What are some takeaways that every single believer in this room can walk out with this morning? Let's go through them one at a time. First of all, providence. God's governing and sustaining. The providence of God should teach us self-control. You see, when our plans don't go the way we think they should, we want to lose control. We want to throw our hands in the air. We want to complain. We want to be anxious. But God's providence teaches us not to lose control. God's providence teaches us that we can know that God is working out His plan despite our own plans not coming to fruition. Remember the story of Joseph. Secondly, His omnipresence. Omnipresence should teach us to have no fear that we are never, ever alone. Just as God was with Jonah in the belly of the fish, God is with you. You can go up, down, left, or right. It doesn't matter. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. How about omniscience? That God knows everything. This should teach us that we can pray to God even in our thoughts, even in our hearts. Because this, these texts say that God knows the heart. He sees the heart. We should be encouraged to pray. Even if, if we're in a position where we can't speak in our minds, and our hearts, God hears our prayers. How about justice? That even though the world's justice system will be unfair, Sometimes just flat out wrong. This does not go undetected by God. There will come a day when all will stand before God, so don't become bitter. As Romans says, leave it to the wrath of God. And then finally, the grace of God. Grace, it's something we all need, but we don't deserve. That's why it's called grace. It's Receiving something you don't deserve. We don't deserve it. But the Lord Jesus Christ says that we can have it. That we can have his forgiveness, his atonement, his salvation. So if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ for salvation, today's the day of salvation. You can know the grace and mercy of God. You can ask God to forgive you of your sins and be your Savior and Lord. 
And if you ask, He will not turn you away. But if you're a believer here today, you already know Jesus as Savior. Please join me in praising God for His grace. The fact that He gave us His undeserved favor. That we can spend eternity with Him. Pray with me, please. Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you, Father, for these divine attributes. We praise you that they are, t- they are found all over the Bible, not just in one place or the other. And today we specifically praise you that we find them in the book of Proverbs. Lord, we ponder your providence, your omniscience, your omnipresence, your justice, and your grace. We praise you for giving them to us, Father. And Lord, we do ask if there is one here who doesn't know you, that they might know your grace today. And for believers, may we take these attributes of who you are and see how they directly affect our lives. And help us to continually walk towards you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.